8, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, I always want <clears throat> to share this, especially for those who might be here for the first time this morning. They may be visiting. Um, the topic this morning is the grace of giving. And one of the things that first-timers may say, or they already have a problem with it, there they go talking about money. We didn't pick this topic just for you this morning. We go through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We go through chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We are in the New Testament right now. We are in the book of 2 Corinthians. We did chapter 7 last week. We're doing chapter 8 this week. We're doing chapter 9 next week. So that you know, We're going right through the Bible. And there are times when these topics come up. That's when we talk about them. We do not beg for money. We, do not at, we don't need money. All right? God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. This is his church. He knows the light bills. He knows the gas bills. Does he know the gas bills? Um, <laughs> he knows everything that this church needs. It's his church. He takes care of it. And if you've been here since the beginning, you have never, ever heard me beg for money. Tell you the lights are going to go out if you don't dig deep or they're going to plug. No, you won't hear that here. But you will hear me teach the word of God as it's taught in the scriptures. All right, I just want you to know that before we get started. Listen with, with spiritual ears and how God speaks about giving. And it's giving unto him. You're not giving to me. You're not giving to the church. You're giving to God. This is between you and God, not you and me. Understand that. It's really important. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the grace of giving. Paul had, to, Paul had to deal with a couple of issues in the Corinthian church. The first issue he dealt with back in chapter 1, or 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And it dealt with that young man who was sleeping with his mother-in-law. The second issue he has to deal with is the church in Jerusalem. Uh, I'm sorry, which, which both issues are were in the church of Jerusalem. But the second issue had to deal with giving. Giving to those who were in need. And before he wrote chapter 8, he thoughtfully laid the foundation for it in the last part of chapter 7. Where Paul praised the Corinthians in loving words. This important section develops the subject of giving and sums up the principles of the New Testament about this important subject of giving. Paul wasn't the least bit shy to tell others about the needs that he was aware of. Now, the Corinthian church, the Corinthian believers were blessed with many things. They had faith. They were blessed with the gifts of the Spirit. They had good preaching. They had knowledge. They had enthusiasm, and they had love. Paul encouraged them to also stand out in the grace of giving. Too many times when it comes to managing, man, managing money, managing money is given a different priority than other areas of, of discipleship. Most believers wouldn't want growing in faith and knowledge or love to stop at a certain level. We want to continue to grow in those things. But many have decided on a certain amount that they're going to give to the Lord and it's going to stay there for the rest of their life. But true discipleship includes growing in the mature use of all resources. So giving should increase as well. 
Now, God can give you the desire to increase your giving, and he should be the one who gives you that desire and the ability to give. So don't miss out on this wonderful chance to grow in this part of your relationship as a Christian with God. Paul never begged for money for himself or his ministry, but he was more than ready to even put the pressure on for the needs of other people. We can be thankful for this part of his letter. Because without it, we'd be a lot less knowledgeable and understanding about this part of Christian giving. In chapters 8 and 9, they give us the most complete section on Christian giving in the Bible. Everything that you need to know about Christian giving is here in chapters 8 and 9. There's no, there are no rules, but there are certain clear-cut principles that are given for giving. Now, a lot of people say, well, I thought we were supposed to give a tenth. You know, the word tenth comes from the word tithe in the Old Testament. Well, that's not the New Testament standard, all right? The tithe or the tenth was an Old Testament standard, but it's not the new. It might be a standard that you'd like to follow, but it's not a rule for anyone today. Giving is based on the Bible is based on ability and proportion, And that's different for all of us. All right, understand that. It's based on ability and proportion. Can I and what can I give? Based on my proportion of what God gives me. The word that's important here in this this whole topic is grace. Grace. In chapter 8, the word grace is found seven times. And in chapter 9, it's found three times for a total of 10 times in in both chapters. The subject is the grace of giving. One of the key ministries of Paul's third missionary journey was taking up a special offering for the poor Christians that were in Judea. And Paul helped in this way once before in the book of Acts. And he was happy to do it again. And Paul remembered what Jesus said in Acts 20, 35. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Paul had other blessings in mind besides helping the poor materially. He wanted this offering to strengthen the unity of the church as the Gentile churches shared with the Jewish churches across the sea. Now, the Gentile churches were were those who weren't Jews. So he wanted the Jews and the non-Jew churches to to be united in their giving uh, for others' needs. Paul saw the Gentiles as debtors, that is, those who weren't Jews, He saw them as debtors to the Jews. And the special collection was the one way to pay that debt to the Jews who were in need. This offering was also evidence to the Jewish believers, some of them who were still, you know, standing upon the law and zealous for the law, that Paul wasn't the enemy of the Jews or Moses. Early in Paul's ministry, he promised to remember the poor. And he worked hard to keep that promise. But at the same time, he hoped that the Gentiles, again, those who weren't Jews, that he was hoping that their generosity would silence the jealousy of the Jews. Unfortunately, the Christians, I'm sorry, the Corinthians, weren't doing their part. Like a lot of people, they made promises. They had good intentions, but they didn't keep them. In fact, a whole year went by when the Corinthians didn't give. Why? Why did they delay? Because of the low spiritual level of the church. 
And when the, spiritual, when the church is at a, a low spiritual level, you'll find it lacking in a lot of things. It won't only be in their giving. It will be in their loving of one another. It will be in their fellowship with one another. It will be with the attendant, their attendance to church with one another because they're at a low spirit. It's, it's kind of the barometer of how hot and cold your relationship is with Jesus Christ. You know, you, you, how, you, how you give to God and how you serve God and all the things that that, that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, is to have of you. So, again, that was the, the, it, it was not a, a spiritual problem. Uh, you know, the church is not a, a um, it's not as, it wasn't as, as generous. Again, because of that, that lack of spiritual uh, nature that it had. Another reason was the invasion of the Judaizers or the legalists who probably was siphoning off money as they could when they take up those collections. And you hear about that a lot in churches. You know, people taking money, pastors or, or somebody in the body of Christ that, that it, was, it was handling the money, you know, disappearing and, and people embezzling. You know, you, you hear it, unfortunately, quite often. So Paul knew it would be hard to get the, Christians, uh, the Corinthians involved. So what did he do? He taught them that giving was an act of grace. Paul used nine different words to refer to the offering. But the one that he used the most was grace. Giving really is a ministry and fellowship that helps other people. But the motivation must be from the grace and the love of God in their heart. Paul knew that this collection was a debt. It was a debt owed by the Gentiles. And it was fruit from, the Christian, from their Christian lives. But it was more than that. It was God's grace working in their hearts. And you see, that's why the giving is between you and God. Nobody else. It's a wonderful thing when Christians enter into that grace of giving. When they really believe that giving is more blessed than receiving. Now, how do we know when we're practicing grace giving? How do we know when we're practicing grace giving? Paul showed that there were several signs that appear when our giving is motivated by grace. And so, you know, heed them well. Mark them down. How do we know when we're practicing grace giving? All right. There, again, Paul's going to show us several signs that appear when our giving is motivated by grace. The first sign that we are grace giving is we give in spite of circumstances. We give in spite of circumstances. Look at chapter 8 now, verses 1 and 2. And Paul says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, notice, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Doesn't that sound like a contradiction? Their deep joy, I mean, their abundance of their joy and their deep poverty. Now, that, that, again, is it possible to, to have an abundance of joy when you're, when you're in deep poverty? And, and that's what Paul's pointing out. That's the difference between the world and, and, and the spiritual realm with Jesus Christ. Paul was using the Macedonian churches as an example. They had experienced, it says, you know, this great trial of affliction. They were in deep poverty. They had hit the bottom of the barrel, and yet they were giving liberally. The phrase deep poverty describes a beggar who has nothing and has no hope of getting anything. 
That's the situation the Macedonians were in. They were like a beggar who has nothing and had no hope of getting anything. It could have been because of their Christian faith that they may have been part of the reason for the great trial of, of, of their affliction because many Christians in biblical times, they lost their jobs, they lost their homes, they lost family, they lost their belongings because they were dedicated to Jesus Christ. They might have lost their jobs, as I just said, because they refused to have anything to do with idolatry. But that didn't stop them from giving. In fact, again, it says here, notice, they gave joyfully and generously. Joy is a reward for giving. I like this formula that Warren Wiersbe comes up with, or he says, no computer could analyze this amazing formula. Great affliction and deep poverty plus grace equals abundant joy and abounding liberality. Can you honestly say that you've experienced the grace of God in your life? If you have, how can you use difficult circumstances as a reason for not giving? Here's the common thought. How can I give to the Lord when I have so many bills? How can I give to the Lord when I have so many and so many other things that I need to take care of? You know, I, I can't afford to give. Well, what Paul says here is that we, cannot, we, we can't afford not to give. And we all know right now, especially the day we're living in, the economy's bad right now. Gas prices, natural gas, and petroleum gas, you know, they're, 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 they're crazy. The food is crazy. You know, we, we, we see that in our economy right now. I was hearing on the news a couple of days ago that they, they were saying that 60% of the population living check to check. 60%. Grace giving means giving in spite of all of that. In spite of, of, of again, the, the bad economy. Verses 3 and 4, here's the second re- way that we know uh, we're, 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 giving, uh, we're grace giving. When we give willingly. When we give willingly. Look at verse 3 and 4. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, notice, they were freely giving. Notice, in spite of their condition, in spite of their great affliction they were going through, in spite of the deep poverty they were experiencing, it says they gave freely, willingly, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. It's possible to give generously, all right, but grudgingly. Every time I give, I go, oh, man, I well, I could use this somewhere else, and oh, well, I just I got to do it. Well, the Bible says that God loves a, a, a gracious giver, a hilarious giver, they're, they, because, you know, they, they're in love with God, and they know how God has blessed them. A miserly church member once said, the preacher says I should give until it hurts, but for me it hurts just thinking about giving. And it's amazing how, you know, you look at a $20 bill these days, and it, it doesn't seem like it's much, you know, but when I dangle it over the plate, I go, oh, man, I don't want to give this, you know. It seems like a lot when I'm giving it to the Lord, but when I have it in my hand, it doesn't seem like it's that much, but it's, it's just our, our, our mentality many times. The Macedonian churches, they didn't need any high-pressure tactics like the church at Corinth. They were more than willing to give to the collection. And that's something that Pastor Chuck taught us as long, far back as I can remember. 
He said, where God guides, God provides. As I said earlier, it's God's church. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So, you know, I, I don't have to go to bed at night worrying about the bills. God, this is your house. These are your people. You know what we need. And so God's going to take care of it. All I need to do is preach the word of God. You guys are to receive the word of God. And between you and God, uh, you, you do what uh, the, the, you know, God leads you to do. And so, again, it's important that we understand that. Paul didn't beg. We never beg. The, the, again, it, we never pressure uh, people to give. It's grace giving or nothing. All right? They were giving of their own free will, and they were giving naturally. They gave because they wanted to give. They gave because they had experienced the grace of God. And the grace of God will open your heart and it, as well as open your hand. And your giving isn't the result of cold, a cold calculation, trying to figure out what I can or cannot give. Remember when Jesus saw the multitude coming in John chapter 6? He said, hey, Philip. He said, how are we going to feed all these people? He says, go out and buy them food and feed them. Well, Philip, he gets out his trusty calculator and he starts calculating, you know, what they have in the treasury. And he says, Jesus, we only have 200 denarii worth of bread. It's not sufficient for him. It's not enough to buy them. So he got out and he just, you know, got out the old calculator. But, but he had been with Jesus for, for, for years and seen the miracles that Jesus had done. And yet he still was trusting in his calculator to do the work of God. It should be a loving joy. Then, another know that, a way that we, to know we're grace-giving is when we give like Jesus gave. When we give like Jesus gave. Look at verses five, and nine, 5 through 9. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord, and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich." Jesus is always the greatest example for the believer to follow in anything. Like Jesus, the Macedonian Christians, they gave themselves to God and they gave themselves to others. If we give ourselves to God, we will not have much problem giving our substance to God. If we give ourselves to God, we'll also give our, of ourselves to others. You can't say you love God and ignore the needs of your neighbor. Jesus gave of himself. He gave himself, and he gave himself for all of us. Shouldn't we give ourselves to him? He died so that we might not live for ourselves, but that we might live for him and for others. The Macedonians, they gave like Jesus Christ. The Macedonians' giving was like Christ. It was motivated by love. What a rebuke to the Corinthians who were so full of spiritual blessings. But they were so caught up in themselves. They were so caught up in the gifts of the Spirit that they neglected the graces of the Spirit, including the grace of giving. 
The Macedonian churches, they were in deep poverty, verse 2 says. And yet, it says they overflowed in their generosity. The Corinthians had an abundance of spiritual gifts, and yet they were slackers in keeping their promise and and sharing in the collection. Now, we we should never think of... That, that the ministry, all right, is, is our gift. In other words, we should never think that the ministry of our spiritual gifts is a substitute for, for generous giving. In other words, oh, well, you know, I serve in the children's ministry or I serve in the usher's ministry, so that's my offering to God. That's my, I don't have to give. That's not, that's not the way it works. That's just, that's just a reason many people give for not giving to God. The Christian who remembers that his gifts are gifts will be motivated to give to others and not hide behind his ministry for the Lord. And some think because they devote their time to serving the Lord, they don't have to give. Paul felt just the opposite. He said, since you're wonderfully gifted from God, you ought to want to give to him even more. Paul was very careful to make sure they understood that he wasn't ordering them to give. Look at the beginning of verse 8 again. He says, I speak not by commandment. He says, I'm not commanding you to give. He's laying down the principles of godly giving. He says, though I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. I'm really testing how much you truly love others by your giving. See, love is giving in many ways. You know, giving comes out of love. And so Paul was saying here, hey, I'm not ordering you. I'm not commanding you to give. What he was really doing was comparing the attitude of the Corinthians, their love, with the Macedonians. Giving is voluntary. Giving is a test of sincerity, and giving is a test of love. So Paul was pointing out that the Macedonians were following the Lord's example. That's always the example we are to follow. We're to follow Jesus Christ. What did he do? Okay, those people were poor. The Macedonians, they were poor, and yet they gave. As Jesus was poor, and he gave. The Corinthians said that they loved Paul. Now he asked them to prove that love by sharing in the offering. Grace giving is a sign of love. It's a sign of love for Jesus Christ. It's a sign of love for God's servants who have ministered to us. And it's a sign of love for those who have special needs that we are able to help meet. And then another sign that we are grace giving, their giving was sacrificial. A sign of grace giving is it's sacrificial. Look at verse 9 again. For you know... The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though, no, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. He gave it up. He sacrificed everything that we might become rich. Now, in what ways was Jesus rich? Well, Jesus was rich in his person. That is who he was, his attributes, his character, because he's eternal God. He's rich in his possessions and in his position as king of kings and lord of lords. He's rich in his power. He can do anything. Yet, in spite of having all of these riches, he, and more than riches, he became poor. It's his incarnation. It's his birth at Bethlehem that he's talking about here. He united himself to, to mankind. He became man 
united himself with men uh, by taking on a human body, flesh and bone, flesh and blood. He left the throne in eternity to become a servant. He laid aside all of his glory, all of his possessions, so that he didn't even have a place to lay his head. He did that for you and me. His ultimate experience of poverty was when he was made, for, for, uh, made sin for us and he died on the cross. Hell is eternal poverty. And on the cross, Jesus Christ became the poorest of the poor. Now, why did he do that? So that we might become rich. Now, that suggests we were poor. <laughs> he said that he gave up all so that we might become rich. So that meant we were poor before we met Jesus. And that we were totally bankrupt. But now that we've just trusted Jesus, we share in all of his riches because we are now the children of God. And since this is true, how can we refuse to give to others? He became poor to make us rich. Now, can we not follow his example like the Macedonian churches did? They, out of their deep poverty, gave so freely. Look at verses 10 and 11 and 12. And he goes on to say, And in this I give advice. Notice, he didn't command to give. He said, And this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you must also complete the doing of it. That as, uh, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has, notice, and not according to what he doesn't have. So we are to give based on what we have, not what we don't have. There's a huge difference between words and works, that is, between what is said and what is done. The Corinthians boasted to Titus a year before that they wanted to share in this special collection. That's what he says here in verse 6. But they didn't do it. They said they were going to, but they didn't keep their promise. And then in verses 10 through 12 here, Paul emphasized willingness. Grace giving must come from a willing heart. It can't be pressured. Giving is, is, is proportioned to income, Paul says in verse 12. I've heard people scolded. I've heard people begged. I've heard them pressured. I've been at meetings where ushers would stand by the doors while the speaker tried to get the, the, the amount of money he wanted. Hey, that is not God's doing. That is not biblical. Those are worldly tactics. Those are man, men's tactics. And I know they're not scriptural either. We have to be careful not to confuse willing with doing because the two, the, the two must go to... Uh, yeah, we... Man, we can't confuse willing with doing because they they have to go together. If the willing is sincere in the will of God, then there must be a work also. Paul didn't say that willing, being willing, was a substitute for doing. It's like not wishing well, but not doing anything about it. Willing is not a substitute for doing because it's not. God knows my heart, people will say. Well, yeah, God does know my heart. He He knows it better than I do. Now, I might mean well, but meaning well doesn't mean anything. It's the thought that counts. We hear that all the time, but no. If our giving is motivated by grace, we will give willingly, not because we've been pressured to give. And God sees 
if the heart wanted to give more but couldn't. And God sees it and he records it. But if you give more than the heart wants to give, you know, grudgingly, God records what's in the heart no matter how big the actual offering is. God doesn't take into account what's given, but how much could have been given. If we could have given more, but we didn't, God notes it. If we wanted to give more and couldn't, God notes that too. When we give willingly based on what we have, we are practicing grace giving. And that's the way it is. Based on what we have. Then we're practicing grace giving. Another way to know if we are grace giving is when we give by faith. Verses 13 through 19. Paul says, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened by an, by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. And we have sent him, I'm sorry, and we have sent with him the brother who prays, uh, whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind. Paul didn't suggest that the rich become poor so that the poor might become rich. That wouldn't, be a smart, that wouldn't be smart for a Christian to go into debt in order to relieve somebody uh, else's debt. Unless, of course, he was able to handle the responsibility of, of paying the debt back. Paul saw an equality in the whole procedure of giving. The Gentiles were enriched spiritually by the Jews. So the Jews should be enriched materially by the Gentiles. Also, the Gentile churches at that time were enjoying some degree of material wealth. While the believers in Judea, they were suffering. And we always need to remember, one day the shoe could be on the other foot. There might come a time when the Jewish believers would be helping the Gentiles. So, you know, the one that balances things out is God. Paul used the miracle of the manna in verse 15 here as an illustration of the principle of collecting the manna back in Exodus 16. Remember, no matter how much manna the Jews would gather each day, they always had what they needed. If they tried to stockpile the manna, they learned really quick that they, you couldn't stock, stockpile it because the manna would spoil. So the lesson is clear. Gather what you need, share what you can, and don't try to stockpile God's blessings. God will see to it that you won't be in need if you trust him and you obey his word. Our reason for giving is God's spiritual blessing in our lives. But our amount for giving is God's material blessing. And Paul made this clear when he wrote to the Corinthians in his first letter in 1 Corinthians 16.2. He told the Corinthians, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper. Paul didn't lay down any kind of formula because grace giving is not limited by a tithe or 10%. Grace giving is orderly, but it's not legalistic. 
You know, some people can give more 10%. Maybe God's blessed them. They're, they, they, they're wealthy, they have wealth, and, and, and God puts it on their right. They can give more than 10%. Maybe the person, you know, they're, they're in a poor uh, situation, and they can't give 10%. If they, can, they can give less because, again, that's what they can afford. Okay, but, but God knows our hearts. He knows if we're holding back and we're giving grudgingly. He knows if we don't want to give. That's between the individual and God. And that's important for us to understand as a Christian. Okay? It's not uh, satisfied with only the minimum. All right? Whatever that minimum might be. All right? I know there was the 10%. It may not be, that person may not be satisfied with that. I'm blessed. God's blessed me. And I'm going to bless. I'm going to give more. Again, since God is the one who balances the books, we can't accuse Paul of teaching some form of communism, taking from the rich and giving to the poor, just like a lot of people want to do today. All right. In fact, verse 13 is a direct statement against communism. The so-called communism of the early church in Acts has no relationship to the communistic, political, and economic systems that are endorsed today. The early Christians, like many Christians today, they voluntarily shared what they had, but didn't force people to take part in it. The whole program was temporary. And the fact that Paul had to take up a special collection to help their needs proves that the program was never meant to be uh, imitated by later, later generations of Christians. Grace giving is a matter of faith. A matter of faith. We obey God and we believe that he'll meet our needs as we help to meet the needs of others. As the Jews gathered the manna each day, we must depend upon God to give us our daily bread. And he told us in, in Matthew 6, he says, don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. He says, I'm going to take care of you. He says, I know when one bird falls out of the sky, I know when one hair falls off of your head, don't you think you're more important to me than that bird and, and that hair that falls out of somebody's head? He knows our needs before we even ask. So again, it's a matter of faith when we give. We must not waste or misuse what God gives us, nor must we hoard it, try to stockpile it. In the will of God, it's right to save. The Jews saved Friday's manna to eat it on the Sabbath day, and the manna didn't spoil. But God had ordered that. But out of God's will, the wealth that we collect will hurt us rather than help us. Beginning in verse 16 here, Paul suddenly turned from a great spiritual principle to some practical advice on how the special collection would be handled. Grace giving means giving by faith even in spite of circumstances. And I want to share a little quick story at the end here regarding that. The Christian who shares with others must be sure that what he gives is managed honestly and faithfully. And again, giving, uh, grace giving means giving by faith, but it's also true that grace giving doesn't mean giving by chance. We glorify God by using what he gives us the way he wants it to be used. If the people who manage church finances aren't burdened to glorify God, if they're not you know, set on glorifying God, they'll soon be losing those funds. 
in ways that, that dishonor God. Verse 20 through 22 now shows us another way that, that, to, that our, to show that if we're giving a, a grace, doing a grace giving, and that is a reputation for honesty. Look at verses 20 through 22. Avoiding this, notice, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us. Providing, notice, providing honorable things, not only in the sight of Lord, but also in the sight of men. Being honest and honorable with the, with the money that, that God provides. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence that we have in you. So, uh, Paul made it clear that, that, that he welcomed the representatives from those churches that were involved in the giving. And he wanted to avoid any blame. And you know, money is a very sensitive thing. It's not enough to say, well, the Lord's watching what's going on. He'll take care of it. We have to be responsible as well in handling that money. And who's handling it? Here at this church, we have a, re a reputable board of directors. Our records, our financial records, are audited by an independent accounting firm on a quarterly basis. A copy of that financial record is reviewed by our treasurer at our board meetings. A copy of that financial report quarterly is given to the bank who's carrying our mortgage so that they can review the finances too. And all of these, these that edit and read it and look at are there to see and to check that what we're doing is above board. And our, our auditing company, if they see something that, that doesn't, uh, isn't in sync, say, hey, Pastor Joe, you know, there's this here. Can you, you know, we'll either provide the, proceed, the receipts or whatever needs to be done. But it, it's, it's, it's great to know that, that our books are right and that God is happy with what we're doing. And, and again, again it, it's, it's God's money. You know, when, when you guys get, it's God's, it's not mine, it's not anybody else's, it's not the board's, it's not, we're not free to do with it what we please. We have policies and, and set up and, and, and people that, that, you know, audit the funds. It's God's money. We are just put in, in charge of that money and we will be held accountable on how we handle that money. And so that's, again, why we have a, a, a reputable board and, and an accounting company and, and even, you know, our, our bank, you know, uh, audits those financial records. So, again, uh, a great thing to do, and you want to be above board. So, uh, again, verse 22, Paul emphasizes carefulness. If there's one quality that's needed when handling fin finances, and you guys know that, it's carefulness. Keeping the records of income and expenses. All right, let's close with verse 23 and 24. You know, your, you know your grace giving when you have a cooperative spirit. A cooperative spirit. Look at verses 23 and 24. If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Therefore, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. Titus not only had a heart for this ministry, but he knew how to be a good team member. Paul called him his, his partner and fellow worker. And again, the money belongs to the Lord. The board of directors, they are just stewards managing the money honestly and carefully for the service of the Lord. 
I do not spend the money as I do. I have, there's two signatures on the check so that Pastor Tony and Pastor I sign it or, or one of the board of directors members to see that, that what's being spent, what is being spent on. So again, it, it, I, I do not have the luxury to just write a check as I want. It is verified, it is double signed, and therefore it, it, everybody knows what it's being spent for and the amount. That way there's, it's, it's all above board. So again, carefulness is so important. It's God's money. Uh, we're just responsible for it. Paul saw the stewards as special servants of the churches. All right, doing this carefully for the service of the Lord. The raising of this special collection was a cooperative effort between the Gentile churches, that is the non-Jewish churches, and the Jewish churches. And Paul and the representatives, those who were involved, were just messengers of those churches. These dedicated Christians felt that they had a duty to the churches to do their work honestly and successfully. And yes, we do. Grace giving is an exciting experience when you learn to give by grace through faith. Through faith. Again, despite the circumstances, just the way you were saved, by grace through faith. When you get saved, what? You start experiencing a wonderful freedom. Freedom from the things and the circumstances in the old life. Instead of those things possessing you, you start to possess them. You start to control them, and you develop a whole new set of values and priorities. You no longer measure life or other people on the basis of money or possessions. If money is the best test of success, then Jesus was a complete failure because he was a poor man. He had nothing. But again, giving is based on grace and faith in spite, despite the circumstances. And the story I want to tell you is about when Kathy and I lived in... Uh, a mountain community off of the grapevine several years ago before I got involved in ministry full-time. And I used to drive almost 200 miles a day round trip to work from off the grapevine, a mountain community off the grapevine to L.A. And, you know, that, I put a lot of mileage on tires on the car as well. And so... Kathy and I had been wanting to, you know, to, to tithe, and, and we gave to the Lord, but it wasn't as it's described by Paul here. It wasn't a faithful tithe. And we just, it was one thing that really bothered us, and, and we were growing in the Lord, and, and we just continued to, one of the things that was our weakest was, was the tithing, or was giving to the Lord. And so, you know, we, uh, like I said earlier, there's, we always, you, you get ready to make that commitment. I'm, okay, Lord, I'm going to give, man, I'm, it's going to start next Sunday. Oh, next Sunday rolls around and the car breaks down or you know, something, appliance breaks in the house and we, we got to get it fixed. But there's always something. You see, this is where the, the, the faith in giving despite of circumstances comes in. Now, those are justifiable reasons. I got to fix these things. But you know what? I, I have this relationship with the Lord. I have this, this, this thing that I, that I need to do, that I want to do. And so my tires, this one year, they were, they were I'm seriously, they were bald. I don't know how bad you let your tires get, but um, the, 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 uh, the steel belt was showing through the tread. And I thought, oh, Lord, you know, and I'm driving almost 200 miles a day, and I'm thinking, 
And I'm, I'm starting to do that. I got, Lord, I got to get tires first. But I said, no, I can't. And so Kathy and I made this agreement. We're, we're going to do it. We're going to step out. And so I just said, Lord, you know every rock, every pebble on this road, back and forth. Put an angel out here to sweep it clean as I'm coming by because it's not going to take much to puncture that tire. So... <laughs> This is how God brought what Paul's teaching here to life. Because we tithe, praying that, okay, Lord, give us, you know, uh, some money to fix these tires. And so we just, I just kept praying, Lord, just keep the rocks off the highway or whatever, you know, with give me a flat tire so i was driving and I, maybe it was a week or two i kept driving and and then i get home one day and one weekend this guy calls me and he says he says hey joe he says you still got your subaru i said yeah he goes, I got a set of tires. He says, I took them off of my Subaru because I got rid of it. He says, I, he says, I, only, he says, I only put 1,300 miles on them. He says, do you want them? Wow. I said, yeah, I want them. So... You know, we, like, picked them up and put them on that weekend, but that's everything here that Paul's teaching. You'll never know how God works, how he keeps his word until we step out in faith and trust his word and trust him. And so, yeah, it's hard. But he was faithful. He knew our need. But we made that commitment to tithe and been doing it ever since. He's never let us down. And he'll never let you down. Father, thank you so much for your word, God. Thank you for your faithfulness, Father. And I pray that your spirit would instill in each one of us, God, that faithfulness, Lord. Because you are always faithful. Thank you now, Lord, and bless this time as Brother Dennis comes up and leads us in communion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.